our new bestie has changed how we track our investments. Why have over 400,000 investors chosen ShareSite? It's simple. This online investment dashboard for your investment portfolio supports over 500,000 stocks, ETFs, and funds, plus integrated with more than 200 platforms, ensures your entire investment portfolio is organized and accessible in one place. Move beyond the limited insights from brokerage statements. ShareSite offers a comprehensive view of your financial performance, including analyzed reports, dividend gains, and the impact of currency fluctuations, all through intuitive graphs and visualizations. But here's the best part. For the investee besties out there, ShareSite is offering a special deal. Save four months when you purchase an annual premium plan. It's time to dive deep into performance metrics, streamline tax reporting, and share your portfolio with ease. Join the link in the episode description to sign up to ShareSite now and transform your investment experience. Hello, welcome back to Girls and Invest. So this week we have a very, very special guest with us. Her name is Shan. She is a 30 under 30 from Forbes, South African born. At the age of 18, she co-founded the amazing Crimson Education brand. And if you have not heard of them, you are living under a rock. And she did this from her parents' living room in Auckland. It has to date turned into a nine-figure business, has over 500 full-time staff and over 24 global offices. She's been the woman of the year in business and innovation by Next Magazine. And she is quite honestly the richest person I know. Hello, Sean. Welcome to Girls Invest. Hi, guys. I'm so excited to be here. I feel like I'm fangirling right now. You know the story of me fangirling over you two years ago before Girls and Investors even a thing. I remember when we started, I was like, Sonia, there's this girl called Sean and she's done this amazing stuff. And like, I kind of been following your journey for a little bit, you know, on the sidelines as you do. And I DM'd you in 2020 about the stock market. You didn't quite open it, John. Oh my gosh. You know, Sim actually, you know, you brought this to my attention recently. And I have to say, there's never really been a time in my life when I felt like a, an expert in public market investing until you reminded me of this message. And you showed me that you commented on it. And now I just like sit here thinking, you know, I could have been one of the, it could have been three of us sitting here talking about girls that invest, but you guys made such a strong head start. And I'm so proud to know you both now because I think this is just the most amazing thing ever. You're too kind. And you've done so many amazing things. You know, after Crimson, you've moved on to a couple of your other companies that you've started, one being your cycle, and we'll definitely get into that today. But let's take a step back to when Shan was five years old. She was growing up. She was seeing the world for the first time. What was your money mindset back then? And has it changed over time? Great question. I mean, I think that I've always been really focused on creating an impact. And that's really been what's motivated me throughout my life. Before I got into entrepreneurship and before I started my first company, what I wanted to do um, was become a doctor. I thought that was, you know, the most incredible way to create positive impact on the world around me. And so I guess my money mindset has very much been shaped by that value set. And now the way that I see money is as a tool to create positive impact on the world around me and as a resource to be able to help lift other people up too. And so 
so lots of the things that I've learned have really come from that place of wanting to make the most of what I have. And that mindset, you know, definitely was part of the huge, a huge factor in what led me to set up my foundation, the One Billion, which uh, aims to improve a billion lives over the next 50 years. And what an amazing foundation that you've set up. I don't think a lot of people realize, you know, you've achieved a lot of success very young. I think most people at that stage go, cool. I've made my money, I've cashed out, let's go holiday in Europe for the rest of my life. And yet you're here like, you know what, let's help a billion more people. Do you feel like money is a tool that you use to just kind of further the change you want to make in the world? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think one of the ways that I think about life and I think about how I want to spend my time is kind of backwards. Like I like to think about my life being a book. And, you know, when I'm 80 and I'm reflecting on the book of Sean, I like to really think about what I want each chapter to represent. And I know that when I'm 80, I'll be really proud of my journey and my life and the legacy that I leave behind if I've been able to kind of, you know, make the most impact for the the most number of people. That's kind of, yeah, I guess how I think about things. And definitely when I left Crimson, which was my first startup company, it was a really big um, deciding factor in how I spent my time. I did try and take some time off. I think I lasted about three weeks. And then I decided that waking up and, you know, not having anything on my schedule felt like wasting the days that were very precious. So um, I think, you know, I've got this burning passion inside me to keep learning and keep growing. And I think that one of the most powerful things that we can do in the world is find ways to lift other people up and find ways to be able to share what we learn. And that's what you know I spend most of my time doing at the moment, which makes me feel very fulfilled and very happy and very lucky. That is very, very beautiful, very mature as well, I have to say. Would you, like sort of going back to, again, when you were a little bit younger, would you say you grew up in a very affluent family or did you, was it pretty normal? Like where did the sort of experiences come from as a child for you? So my parents both immigrated to New Zealand from South Africa and they took my sister and I with them. I was eight, eight years old at the time and I guess moving to a whole new country and building a new community around us and really starting from school from scratch has very much shaped, you know, how I kind of think about my life. My parents also grew up during the apartheid era in South Africa. A lot of what I believe in a lot of the way that I live my life around, you know, sharing what I learn and giving back um, really comes from their upbringing and the stories that I heard from them about how, you know, they had to really fight for education and they had to fight for the right to healthcare and all of these like really, really basic things were actually so important um, for them to fight for because they didn't have them. And so I think if I kind of summarize my upbringing after we moved to New Zealand, I would say it was pretty normal. I mean, I was really, very lucky to, to live in a in a home that was very loving and my parents were supportive of my sister and I to the end of the year. They both worked um, in healthcare. My dad worked in public health and my mom's a speech therapist. And so they really um, pushed my sister and I to do what made us happy and learn as much as we can. I remember in my last year of school, I was so proud of myself because I was selected to to go to Europe for the first time with UN Youth to represent New Zealand at the Hague International Model UN. And I was selected a year before we went on this trip. But I remember fundraising almost every single weekend to be able to raise the funds I needed to be able to make my first trip to Europe alone. And so experiences like that, I think really taught me the, the value of every dollar and also taught me the importance of really, I guess, being in the moment, but making the most out of every experience that you have, because I thought that I'd get the most out of the trip. And I thought I'd get the most out of being in Europe. But in reality, I actually got the most out of the journey of 
getting onto the trip and, you know, being there. And so I think that appreciation for what where every dollar can take you and how hard it is to earn every dollar is really important. And I feel very lucky to have had that at an early age. That is so cool. Would you say that that then kind of led you on to this idea of starting your own business? Because I think that happened around a very similar time when you were 18, in fact. And so how did you transition into, you know what, I'm going to start a company. I may be 18. I may be doing this from my mum's living room, but let's give it a go. How did that all begin? It was not a deliberate planned decision. I think many people start their businesses for the first time with a written business plan and they kind of, you know, go into it knowing that they want to create an enterprise that they can grow. The reality of starting Crimson for me and for my co-founder was really just trying to solve a problem that we knew existed. And so I was tutoring during my first year of university. And so was my co-founder and all of the kids we were tutoring were asking us, you know, what should they do when they leave school? Or they were saying things like, what should I study? Where should I go to university? And those were all questions that I asked myself. And I wish I had more structured support with um, being able to answer. And so that's really, you know, the problem we tried to solve. And by virtue of trying to do that in the best way that we could, Crimson really evolved and grew quite quickly. I think one of the really beautiful things about growing up in New Zealand and New Zealand culture is that people are quite ambitious. And I think that the concept of being able to push yourself to achieve, you know, the greatest that you can for whatever your interest or passion area is really resonated with a lot of people. So yes, I think that, you know, my desire to keep learning and keep growing was a huge part of what helped Crimson to grow. But also I think we kind of stumbled into Crimson and we were very lucky um, to have been part of solving that problem at the time. This year actually is a very exciting one for the business because approximately 1% of all Ivy League students were supported by Crimson in some way, shape or form. And that's a huge achievement. I mean, if you had said that to me, you know, nine years ago, I would have probably not believed you. So lots of good stuff that we've been able to achieve there. That is mind blowing. I have to say when this was starting, so Sonia and I were in high school, probably like a suburb or two away from where you were at high school. And we were in year 12 then. I don't even think we could have like gotten through the essays we had to write. So you started your business things are going well. It kind of, you know, fell into place and obviously it's grown quite successfully, the first one. Would you say that there were any significant challenges you faced transitioning into kind of doing this full time the first time around? So when I was doing this the first time around, I was studying full time for the first three years of the business and working full time. And so it was a lot. And I think that this example of like a lot of stuff going on is really a great example of how I like to kind of live my life even now. Like I love to learn while I'm not you know, studying anything full time at the moment, I like to really throw myself in the deep end with different industries and with different types of content. And I think that the reason why is probably going to surprise some of you because I I think that I actually learn best. And I think we as like a human race actually learn best when we're applying things from different disciplines to problems that are in front of us. I read this book about five years ago called The Medici Effect that basically talked about how 
the best innovations actually come from the intersection of different disciplines. And as I read through some of the examples, I was like, wow, this is mind blowing. And it's always stuck with me. And so, you know, when I started Crimson, I was studying full time, I was doing my undergrad degree in health science. And then when I graduated, and I started focusing on the business as kind of like a full time thing, it was already full time before that. But when I really dove into it, the, the first thing I did after I graduated was I moved to the US. And, and so I was in a new environment. I lived in New York for a little bit met some really awesome and interesting people. And that in itself, being in a whole new environment was such a huge learning opportunity. So yeah, that that was kind of the first foray into, you know, full time within Crimson. But I think most entrepreneurs will really resonate with the fact that like, you know, when you start a business, it often starts as a side hustle, but then it really quickly kind of can um, transform into something that's much more than that, if it's something you're very passionate about, and you know, gets traction fast. Yeah. I always love when people pop in like their book recommendations and like, it's just, I feel like everyone learns from books, podcasts, and these different resources that we can learn from. So thank you for that. <laughs> I've jotted that down. We'll let you know how I find it. So let's jump into the investing questions because this is called Girls That Invest. So first of all, do you invest? <laughs> yes, I do. And have actually learned so much about this over the last two years. I think like many people who jumped into, you know, investing in public markets as COVID happened, it's been, you know, a really fantastic growth journey and Girls That Invest has been one of my most engaged with pages. For business owners, every transaction is more than just a swipe of the card. It's the culmination of your hard work, dedication and commitment to your customers. That's why I'm excited to share with you a game-changing solution that's simplifying the way businesses like yours accept payments. Introducing Tap to Pay on iPhone, powered by Stripe. Contactless payments has never been easier. You can seamlessly accept contactless payments directly from your iPhone and the best part, there's no additional hardware required. Think about it, from local pop-ups to global retailers, tap to pay on iPhone and Stripe cater to businesses of all sizes, empowering them to accept payments right from their iPhones. It's a game changer for businesses looking to scale quickly and stay flexible with quick setup that takes minutes, not days. So how can tap to pay on iPhone and Stripe benefit your business? It's simple, increased revenue, expanded reach and enhanced customer experience. It's a win, win, win. To learn more about how tap to pay on iPhone and Stripe can transform your business, visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone today. So when you think back to when your journey first started, is there anything that blocked you from starting your journey or intimidated you? If I'm honest, um, there was so much that intimidated me about it. Like I probably can't narrow it down to just one thing. But I'll give you a few examples of some of the early experiences I had with investing that made me feel like a bit of an outsider and before I actually got my head around it and felt comfortable with, you know, making a lot of these decisions and knowing what having good information looked like. The first example that I can remember, and it feels like this was just yesterday, was actually when I first moved to New York, I probably would have been like 21 or 22 at the time. And Crimson was really evolving in quite a big company. I think we probably had about 150 staff at that point in time. And so on the surface, for, to an outsider, I probably looked like this, like, you know, very like knowledgeable business person who should know how to invest. But I remember being in New York and I was having lunch with some people who I had met and they were all, they were all working in finance and um, they were all male. And we were sitting around this 
table eating yamcha and the conversation kind of stared away from you know some of the interesting stuff that you know hobbies and stuff that they had talking about the market and what i noticed around the table was everyone was so clued up on jargon and everything that they said sounded so technical and i felt so out of my depth i literally sat there for probably 15 minutes and didn't say a single word i was just listening and i was like i don't know what i can contribute to this conversation because everything just sounds so foreign to me and after that experience, I felt quite alienated from the idea of um, investing in public markets because I felt like it was so difficult. Like I just felt like you had to be really smart. You had to know all the lingo to be able to make, you know, decisions, you know, based on what, how you thought different companies would perform. And so that was my first experience um, with thinking about like investing in the market. And then as time went on, I guess more of my friends who I was close to started to invest in public stocks and lots of them actually started to invest in ETFs. And that was kind of my first exposure to I guess, relatable stock investing. And then as time went on, I guess I had a little bit more time after I left Crimson. And one of my goals was to become more confident with investing in the market and also building a diverse portfolio of assets. And so I spent a long time really researching property and researching the public markets and researching startup investments. And it was really fantastic because I think just giving myself the time to be able to really understand and process the different parts of all of these types of asset investments gave me a lot more confidence and reassurance that I'd be able to make good calls. But definitely the most challenging part of this whole experience, I think for me was the fact that from the onset, it's everything sounds so hard, everything sounds so technical and it sounds so foreign. But in reality, the words that people use are really just like can be broken down so simply. I definitely feel you on that. That was one of my biggest blocks was the jargon. It was just way too intimidating. And you know, when something seems so foreign to you that you, in your head, you automatically dismiss yourself. You're like, I'm not smart enough to do this. I'm just going to leave it over there and let other people talk about it. Um, So definitely relate to that experience. When you say you were researching, was there any resources in particular that really helped you break it down? Yeah, there were actually a few things that really helped to break down a lot of these barriers that I felt were in front of me before I started investing. And I'd say probably the biggest one is that my partner and I started investing on this investing journey together. So he had done a lot of public market investing before um, him and I started doing it at the same time, but I felt, I guess, really reassured kind of going through this journey and being able to ask questions that sounded like dumb questions um, to someone who, you know, I felt had the time to be able and, you know, the willingness to be able to, to explain what a lot of this stuff meant. And, you know, very quickly what I learned was that a lot of the stuff that initially was quite scary actually wasn't scary at all. It was just, you know, the technicality or the jargon that was making it feel and seem that way. So really grateful to have, you know, had that uh, support through this journey. And then I think also having people around me who were interested in this too. So a few of my friends who female founders um, of startups, really active in the investing space too. And we have our own little chat where we run through, you know, new and interesting ideas that we have. Yeah, a lot of the interesting ideas that, you know, people bring to the table are things that I never would have thought of myself or industries I probably wouldn't have explored on my own. And so I think it's really fantastic to surround yourself with people who really challenge you to think about things in different ways, but also have shared interests and values, because I think you can learn a lot from that. One of the other things that I I often say is that 
you know, you're the average of the five people you spend most of your time with. And so I think being really careful and thinking about like who you want to learn from and who you want to be inspired by is such a really great way to um, feel comfortable with new experiences like this. Because if you do that really well, then you'll be around a supportive environment where you can learn. Can I just jump in and say, how do you start a group chat with your friends Will you just talk about stocks? Like if someone's listening at home and they're like, that sounds cool, how would they do that? Great question. I think the biggest difficulty that many women or people who, you know, are interested in investing have is we feel afraid to ask. Actually, like the first step for me was saying to my friends, like, hey, do any of you actually invest? And if you do, where do you invest and how do you invest? And if you don't, why not? What I found from actually asking that question was that lots of my friends actually you know, had been investing, but they didn't talk about it because it was just something that they were kind of figuring out on their own. And for the ones who didn't, they didn't do it not because they didn't want to, but they didn't do it because they didn't know how to and they felt like the barrier to doing it was just too high. And so actually being able to be the friend in the friend group who brings everyone together and says, hey, like, you know, let's start talking about this more openly. And there's no pressure on anyone to put money in straight away or no pressure on anyone to kind of invest in everything that comes up. But by all means, having an open conversation and having the dialogue and asking the silly questions and saying things like, you know, what's the ticker for this ETF, you know, is where all of the value that we all get out of this learning comes from. That's really helpful advice. I feel like everyone at home is going to definitely be reaching out to their friends and being like, do you actually invest? And let's make this group. I don't even have a Facebook group or like an Instagram group of friends that talk about investing. I think we need to start one. I so do. <laughs> I love it. I mean, honestly, I feel like it's just wonderful to have new ideas and it's wonderful to also feel like your learning is integrated into your daily life and into your lifestyle. And I think that that's something that like, if you're a busy person, um, you always feel like you don't have time for things, but everyone has time to, you know, respond to friends and family. And if you get a pop-up notification on your phone, you're more than likely to even read the headline. And so I think this is just such a great fun way to challenge yourself to keep learning. I know you mentioned the Medici effect as one of the books that really helped you. Is there any other like personal finance books or any other book recommendations that you can give us? Oh, yes. I have so many, so many book recommendations. Lots of them are about building really great foundations for business. And I suppose, you know, through reading these, you probably will also learn a little bit more about like different industries and the way that people think, which I think is also so applicable to finding stocks that you think will do well in the long term. I'll run you through some of my favorite ones. So there's a book called The Culture Code that I think is really fantastic. And basically it talks about the dynamics behind how you build a high performing team. And I think that this is, you know, really, really important for any environment, any workplace. And then I also really like a book called Radical Candor which talks through some of the dynamics behind how you can give great feedback to other people. And that sounds probably really boring, but it's really, really powerful when you get it right. I think interpersonal dynamics and how we engage with the people that we care about and the people that we need to work with all the time really drives a lot of how happy and fulfilled we feel as individuals. And so those two books have been pretty transformative books for me um, in terms of how I engage with others. Don't mind me. I'm just literally writing everything you say down. <laughs> no, that's good. I think those books that were talked about a lot in like leadership in corporate companies, but I think anyone 
will find value in them. It's like the seven habits of highly effective people or how to make friends and influence people. I think there's always something to take away from those kinds of books. So thank you. What would you say are your top three tips? Someone listening at home today who's maybe thinking of starting their own business, you know, they've identified like a gap in the market, something that would really help them, but they just need that push. I think that for most young entrepreneurs, the biggest barrier is just being afraid. And so I think that the first and most important thing to ask yourself is what would you do if you weren't afraid? And for lots of people, what they would do is try. Um, which I think is, you know, really powerful because not trying is the same is the same outcome as if you tried and and someone said no, you didn't get to where you want to you want to be. So I think that that's probably a good first step. And just to kind of contextualize what you're actually trying to do, I think you know entrepreneurship can be the best and greatest opportunity to create a positive impact and positive change on the world around you. The reason I think that this is true is because it's one of the only things that I think you can do or careers where you can spend time on on doing things that you have full control over. And I think that there's something really beautiful and powerful about being able to write your own destiny and create the experience that people in the world around us um, can live to make it better than what they experience today. So I think that that's probably also something to think about. The reality of starting a business, I think, is also quite daunting to a lot of people, but I think that it's important to have role models around you who can show you, you know, who can help mentor you to make sure that you're making good choices from the start. People often think that you need a lot of money to start a business. When I started my first company, I had less than $500 um, saved in my bank account. And that was money that I had saved from my part-time job, which was tutoring. And we managed to build a business that is now um, publicly reportedly valued at around about $600 million. And so it's amazing to be able to, I guess, show that you can build something that um, can grow really quickly, can have a huge impact on a lot of people um, and can add such significant value to people's lives without having a lot of money at the start. And I think that what you need to remember is that entrepreneurship is about and startups are about problem solving every single day. When I think about what I am on my career, I don't really ever think about myself as being a businesswoman or being an entrepreneur. I think of myself as being a problem solver because whether I'm thinking about like, you know, something related to my foundation where we have this huge impact goal, I'm off improving a billion lives, or whether I'm thinking about, you know, a problem related to my new venture, your cycle, everything that I do is about solving a problem in a better way than, you know, what had been done yesterday. And that's how we create new solutions. And that's how we improve. That's how we do better than we did yesterday. So it's important to think really carefully about whether the challenge of problem solving excites you enough to wake up and literally think about problem solving every single second of the day. Because if it does, then I think that it's a huge disservice to not spend time doing that because you can create so much positive impact if you do. You know, throughout this podcast, it's very clear that you've achieved such great success at such a young age. How do you ground yourself? Like what keeps you rooted? Because I feel like it's so easy to get overwhelmed. It feels like everything you turn your hand to, it's like, boom, success. (laughs) (laughs) Everything takes so much hard work. And, you know, it might, on the surface, it seems like things are really successful really fast, but actually cumulative effort every single day and problem solving every single day is what builds the world that we're in right now, but also will build the world that we'll see in, you know, 10 years time. And so I think that what has really helped to ground me is 
really understanding and knowing um, what fuels me as an individual. This is something that's taken me, you know, the past decade um, to be able to be really in tune with because I started my journey with entrepreneurship so young. And so I think having the time to really mature into nurturing and nourishing relationships that are important to you is very important. So my family are the most important thing in my world. And, you know, my close friends who I've been friends with since I was, you know, 10 years old are a really big part of my life now. And I think really staying true and understanding your values um, is important too. And that sounds probably quite generic, but if you think about it, like here's a little activity for anyone listening. If you get a piece of paper right now and you split the page in two and on one side of the page, you write, you write down the things that, you know, take energy from you. So what are the things that make you feel really drained and really tired and maybe like put you in a bad mood? And on the other side of the page, think about all the things that fuel you. So those are the people that, you know, chatting to on the phone, um, you know, make you feel really good and happy and re-energized or the things that you do that make you feel that way too. Maybe they're hobbies or maybe they're activities that you, you do sometimes or regularly. I think it's so important to do this exercise because often we let life just happen to us. But if you let life happen to you, you have no control over the experiences that you have. And so I found building structure into my days, whether I'm working like a gazillion hours because it's a new venture that needs to be set up or whether I have more time because, you know, I've decided to take some time to rest and recuperate. Really understanding what fuels me and what drains me has really helped me to be, I guess, more in control and proactive with managing myself and being able to bring the best version of myself every day. Can you let us in on what's next for you? What's the future looking like for Sean? So the future, great question. We're currently in chapter maybe five of the book of Sean. And in this chapter, I've just started a new venture that I'm very passionate about. It's called Your Cycle. And our goal is to empower women and people who menstruate everywhere to have access to the insights and the products and the care that they need for their reproductive health and their menstrual health. And so a big part of my future is really building this company and being able to achieve our vision of living in a gender equal world where, you know, people who menstruate and people who don't both are able to live their best day of the month, every single day of the month. So that's a big part of it. And then another really big part of it is being able to empower other people to live, um, you know, their best life through my foundation. And so we have a range of really exciting projects that we're working on to be able to help people who are less fortunate than, you know, I am to be able to, I guess, have the tools that they need to be able to live the best life that they can. So those are my two big focus areas right now and two things that I'm very passionate about. Can I just say, I want to just give one little last shout out to your cycle because it is such an amazing brand that you have created that we have really needed. Absolutely. I mean, even if I think about myself and, you know, the number of times I've run out of period products and I've thought, oh no, I've just been caught out. It's like, you know, crazy. And so we wanted to bring subscription period products to women and to people who menstruate so that no one ever gets caught out. And then also bring really good quality products to people too. So all of our products are really environmentally friendly. They're made with organic cotton and they have no nasty materials. And for every 12 months that someone subscribes to Period Box, they also sponsor someone in a developing country to have access to Period products for up to three years, which is pretty powerful. So 
on the product side, absolutely needed. And then we also have a Your Cycle period tracker app, which is also something that's so needed because at school, I only had like three hours of education on my period and reproductive health. And as a result, I, along with you know many other people, don't really understand fully what's going on in my body every single month, despite it being a cycle. And so um, through the Your Cycle app, We've worked with doctors to be able to create a tracking platform that lets you learn all about what's going on in your body, which is all about you being able to live your best day and know, be educated and empowered on how you can do that. Absolutely. And the fact that nothing like this has actually been, you know, considered for us for so long and for a young person of color to be like, you know what, this is something that I've been needing, something that we've been needing. Let me just let me just be the person that makes it. I think is so inspiring and so powerful. But I'm just in awe. Sonia is actually crying. So there's that. I just wanted to say you have brought honestly so much inspiration to this episode. So many interesting points and experiences that I just don't know how you do it. I'm honestly just in awe every time you speak. We definitely need you back on another episode. I don't think this is actually long enough. And I just think it's so crazy to think that with everything you've experienced, everything you've done, with all the sort of credentials you have, you know, down your LinkedIn, that even you at some stage in your life were like, you know what, investing is kind of tricky and confusing. And I, I just think it goes to show like, it's not something that we're all just born with, that we all think we're good at. And if someone who is, you know, and quote unquote, extremely successful feels some slight hesitation, then I think we all need to give ourselves a little bit of a break if we think that we should just be onto it and know everything off the bat. So thank you for being so vulnerable with that part of it. You're so welcome. And I hope that like me sharing some of my stories and my insight can really help other women out there to not feel alone on their journey with investing because I think that money and financial freedom is one of the most important and empowering things that any woman and, you know, anyone can really have access to. And so I'm really grateful to have been part of this podcast and be part of the community with Girls That Invest because I think, I'm, you know, whether you're investing huge lump sums of money or even just like 20 or $30 every week that you would otherwise put into a savings account, having the knowledge and the know-how on how to do this can make a world of difference. And it does make a world of difference. So if you're on this journey and you're starting out like I was a little while ago, or if you're, you know, you've, you've started and you're on your way, like I am now, I'm so proud of you and so excited to be on this journey with Girls That Invest. Thank you. That is amazing. Thank you for joining us. We really appreciate your time. We know how much of a busy businesswoman you are. So thanks again, Sean. You have been absolutely amazing. And as always, to finish off with our disclaimer, Girls That Invest does not provide personalized investing advice for your individual needs. We are not financial advisors. The advice from Girls That Invest exists for educational purposes only and should not be relied upon to make an investment or financial decision. Advice from Girls That Invest is general in nature and does not consider individual circumstances. Always do your research and please use your due diligence. Alrighty, till next time team. Bye.